Thanks to Airbnb, presenting sponsor of African Tech Roundup's podcast miniseries on inclusive travel and tourism, recorded at the Africa Travel Summit 2018. Visit airbnb.com right now to discover and book unique homes, experiences, and places all over the world. They're all waiting at airbnb.com. I'm Andile Masugu, and in this conversation with the lifestyle editor of one of South Africa's most read newspaper titles, we unpack her aspirational editorial approach to crafting a, quote, intelligent lifestyle product that's both representative and market relevant. So listen in for some straight talk about the importance of profiling black excellence in top-tier lifestyle reporting and for some candid views on how those of us with privilege of any kind are obliged to advance the notion of inclusive travel and tourism. And I must remind you folks, this is an independent African Tech Roundup production. The opinions expressed by me, your host, and my guest do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the presenting partner, Airbnb. Hi, I'm Pearl Bushamani Tsotetsi. I am the lifestyle editor of the Sunday Times newspaper. What that means is I am basically editing copy, commissioning stories that have to do with the lifestyle space. So that could be anything from stuff that's more entertainment to stuff that's socio-political. But it's basically just about what we wear, what we think, where we hang out and who with. Welcome to the African Tech Roundup, Pearl. Thanks for having me. We're actually having an interesting offline conversation prior to this about how uniquely you frame lifestyle as an editorial focus relative to some of your contemporaries within print or even online. So give me a sense of where you're coming from in terms of you know, what constitutes lifestyle and how you define it. Lifestyle for me is nice things. It's all the really fantastic, fun things, whether it's clothes that we drape on ourselves or it's what we're watching, it's what we're reading. It's things that feed our soul, things that feed our mind without sounding like Oprah, which isn't a bad thing. Um, Shout out to you, Oprah. Shout out. That for me is the lifestyle space. So lifestyle, I think, is very varied. And I think it it can be like a woman's magazine, but it can also be like a a political magazine. I think it's, it's a mix of anything that isn't news and that isn't necessarily news analysis as well. For me, everything else falls within the lifestyle space. I feel like, um, and not to knock them at all, but networks like E! Entertainment have started to define for people or a generation even what lifestyle is. And it feels like a projection of other people's lives. Do you think that's, that's accurate? I think that is accurate. But I think part of having a good lifestyle space, right? And specifically about what I do, it is supposed to be just a mix of different things. So it can be a mix of what other people are doing, other people's lives. It can be voyeuristic, but it shouldn't be just that. I think the key is curating an experience that is a mix of the world that we live in and maybe the world that we should live in. So it can be like really, you know, fluffy um, stuff that you have on e-entertainment where it's put on, it's, you know, it's rehearsed, it's not really reality. You know, a lot of people put in a lot of work to look a certain way. I think when you look at reality TV, for instance, I think the way to to frame it, I can compare it to the no makeup makeup look. Now the no makeup makeup look, you're still wearing a lot of makeup, trust me. It can be like three layers or seven different products, but the whole idea is to look natural. So it's fake natural, right? And I feel like reality shows are like the no makeup makeup look. It is a curated experience that's made to look like it isn't. And I don't see a big problem with that. I think just as long as you sort of 
have that in addition to other things. And so I think for me, a good lifestyle space would be like e-entertainment, sure, but with a mix of Al Jazeera or a mix of fashion TV. And, you know, one of the things that, the ways that I approach lifestyle is that it's for the most interesting person at, at a dinner party. It's just supposed to treat somebody, you know, treat, treat yourself, treat your mind. So you, you get a little bit of everything. You'll get a little bit of that no makeup, makeup, but then you'll also get maybe no makeup. And then you'll also get the contouring. It's, I'm not making sense, am I? You're actually making so much sense right now. You, and the reason I, I, I wanted to, to unpack this a little more is because I think you're really just describing the notion of nuance. Yes, exactly. And it is about the nuances and it's about the different, you know, the shades. It's, it's like when, you know, Picasso was going through his blue period and he was painting in different shades of blue and that's what it is. Not everything is just a block of blue. It's just about showing different sides to the lifestyle. So you'll have the parts that are really fluffy and really have no deep meaning and it's fine. But then you'll have things also that are more exploratory and more in-depth and more layered and more complex. And I think a good lifestyle space is a space that acknowledges all those different things that happen in the world around us. Whether it's just going to be like a on-the-surface phone review or you're going to write about a phone, but in a socio-political context, which is something you can do. I think, for me, a good lifestyle product is a product that sort of appeals to all the different sides of our personalities and the different sides of our brains and experiences. And I imagine working for a publication like the Sunday Times, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with South Africa's Sunday Times, um, easily one of the the most well-regarded editorial platforms still in print i imagine you you said is the second largest well i mean daily sign is the biggest selling paper in the country um just in terms of you know power i think daily sign and sunday sun is and they're like a tabloid yes yes but realistically number speaking and then i think the sunday times is the biggest in the country all right so I suppose the point I was making was, I mean, some of what you're saying is also framed by a legacy institution, a brand that needs to maintain its, I don't want to say its aura, but certainly its positioning in the market. And so, you know, I suppose you're playing to things that occur naturally in your in your own mind for, for the sake of what matters to you, but then you're also playing to this brand, which has its values, etc. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think when you take over a section, that sounds like... Yo, it sounds like a coup. It, it isn't. <laughs> but when you... Well, someone was there before, now you're there now. That's yeah, it. Well, that's it, right? I'm overthinking it. But yes, exactly. I think it's, it's also just about trying to, um, to maintain a certain vibe, which I think Sunday Times Lifestyle has always been a really intelligent product, and it's also been a cheeky product. But it's about a different kind of cheek and a different kind of intelligence as well. Because the whole point of somebody new doing something is to do things in a new way as well, because it needs to evolve, it needs to keep up with the times. And that's why it's important also to have younger people having a little bit more control over things. Because if you're trying to keep a newspaper alive, if you're trying to get somebody my age to read the paper... And Pearl's a millennial, yeah? I am, I'm 30. So if you want a 30-year-old to read... I'm sorry, you have to get a 30-year-old to write because you can tell when it's a 50-year-old trying to sound 30 and that stuff is condescending. You're fresh off a panel of contemporaries. You were rolling heavy on that stage, man. Larry Mador, who else was up there? And um, it was also Sarah Waiswa. And where, where does she practice? She is an independent photographer and a content creator. A lot of interesting things that come out of your panel, basically just discussing the role of the media in framing this imaginary. We're all here to explore at this conference of inclusive 
travel and tourism within the African context. You guys were trading notes on stage. It got pretty fiery up there. Like, give us a sense of some of the things that sort of filtered to the top for you in terms of that discussion. One of the things I started thinking about a lot was just how xenophobic South Africa is. Honestly, and we can have this great discussion about, yes, inclusive tourism, but the truth is, in this country, we're more welcoming to white tourists than we are to black tourists. And when we do run campaigns, visit South Africa, aside from the short-lived campaign, which I think is a magnificent campaign. Honestly, I thought it was really brilliant. I think one of the things I loved about the short-lived campaign, it was trying to encourage black South Africans to travel within their own backyard first because we just generally don't travel and I think it, it comes, it's, it's for a number of reasons, it's, it is money it is time, it is accessibility but also I think it's just um, the, the idea that we have when it comes to what travel is, which is travel it only counts if I got a visa stamp, you know, what I, I got a visa or I got a stamp on my passport, then it's like yo guys I travelled, where were you? I was in Rome or whatever, then people are like oh, but if it's like where were you? I was in Fumalanga, people are just like they're just shrugging. And I think we need to firstly change our own perceptions towards our own country, but then also just our perceptions towards other Africans. Like, we're such a xenophobic, but we know we're such a xenophobic nation and we can constantly ignore it until, like, people are murdered or burnt to death. Then suddenly we want to talk about our xenophobia, but the rest of the time when it's nice, like now, we don't want to address it because people are not going to go to Kenya because they're just like, oh, eh, eh. I'm not going, you know, I'm not going to go there. Oh, woo, eh, this country, blah, blah, blah. No, I've got Nigerians in my backyard. I don't need to go to Nigeria. It's problematic and it's hateful and we need to firstly deal with that. Then we can start talking about traveling and welcoming travelers from other countries when we don't want Africans in our country. So that's real talk right now. There's something I'm really humbled to in attending this conference. I told quite a few of my mates that we'd be covering this event and they knew of course that I'd be interacting with Chris Lehane of Airbnb and, they were, and a lot of them said no ask this ask that and a couple of my friends have actually had pretty negative experiences on the Airbnb platform that you know let's be honest just race related yeah. and um one of my friends, the places he constantly wants to book that are somehow never available when he, you know, he wants to do it. But, you know, if he gets someone else to do it, they suddenly, you know, free up and that kind of thing. You know, and I have to be fair in saying, one, I've never had a bad experience on the Airbnb platform. And here's what I'm humbled to. The point I'm making is um, I did have a pretty negative experience while in Cape Town for this, for the summit. And it was as a restaurant where I was obviously racially profiled and treated a certain way because I was black. We want to hold big tech or government or whoever is perceptively, you know, em empowered to, to fix a problem. We want to hold them to account. Everyone, Google, Facebook, as we should. You know, I'm not trying to let them off the hook. But often what's happening on those platforms is simply a reflection of what's going on here. Like on the ground, like what, has, what does that restaurant experience I just experienced have to do with the fact that that platform may or may not be making use of some tool or platform. And on some level, we have to take responsibility for our contribution to what's reflected on those platforms. What do you reckon? I absolutely agree with you. And I think, sure, it's such a multi-layered problem. And one of the... So I was interviewing Chris Lehane yesterday as well. And they are... They are trying to, like, you know, obviously put in, like, um, systems in place to try and reduce uh, the number of, like, you know, racial incidents. And they're making it easier for people to be able to report them. And it doesn't have to be an explicit thing where somebody says, oh, no, you're not allowed here because you're black. But also one of the things is just as a black South African traveling in South Africa, I love 
the beach. I love the coast, but I tend to be very anxious when I have to go to coastal towns because they tend to be pretty damn racist. Like one of my favorite places in the country is a small town in the Free State, right? It's gorgeous. It's so quaint, and you know anyone who's been there already knows which town I'm talking about. But I always call it my favorite low-key racist town in the country because there is that even just as a black South African traveling within South Africa there's so many places you're not allowed one of the things that bothers me also is just and even if it's not explicitly said good day you can't come here it's just the kind of vibe you get just know you know and even in Joburg bro like you'll be in a restaurant and you're the only black person there and all the other black people are like well you know like the, the help or servers right and you get this vibe sometimes that hey you don't belong here. People don't have to say it. It can be maybe in the way that they look at you, or the way that they brush past you, that you, you are not welcome. You know, we are not... Or how quickly the bill comes as soon as you're done eating. Like, yes. Without you asking for it. Or how much attention you get as well just from people who are serving you. And, you know, I think those are issues as well that we've got as a country and then the issues that we have as a continent. So we are, we are victimized, you know, quote unquote, but then we go and we victimize other people as well where it's just... We're so hateful towards each other, putting ourselves in these hierarchies where it's like, well, you know, at least I'm better than, you know, that dude from that country. But you're not really. I mean, it's so true. I mean, what I'm becoming humble to is our place of privilege as young blacks who get to project into public sphere on recognizable platforms. Right. Like, what is our role in shaping that narrative? And I I, want to ask you, I mean, it's clear you have. I don't want to call it an agenda, but I think it is. I think there's, a, there's obviously what the Sunday Times would like to think they exist for and, and to do. But I think I'd, I'd be right in saying you have a sub-agenda that you assert into your role and into your personhood. On, you know, when you're just you on the street and people don't know you, you wield a mighty pen, you know? I do have an agenda. I have a lot of privilege just, just from my job and my title. And also just, you know, think about it. Even just the way that we speak, you know, the kind of education that we've had and, and, and where we live and blah, blah, blah. We have a lot of privilege, but even we are still like a little anxious and um, a little trepidatious, if that's the word, to, to go to certain places or, you know, like I'm, I'm always thinking about that stuff constantly. Even having to come to Cape Town, I was so anxious. I was just like, oh my goodness. I haven't gone to any like fancy restaurants also because I didn't feel like, you know, like, you know what I mean? Been giving material for a Twitter thread. Um, but I'll tell you, I'll give you an example. I'm actually going to use this in an opinion piece <laughs> that I'm writing. But I went for dinner with a friend of mine uh, a couple of weeks ago. And we were sitting in a fairly upmarket part of town, an upmarket part of town, let me call it what it is, in, in a fairly upmarket restaurant, chilling, chatting, having a nice time. And then this white woman gets up from her chair and her table and she comes to us. And it, it was like immediately as she was walking towards us and as we both realized she was walking towards us, we stopped talking. And it's, it's like we both just sort of stopped breathing. And she's like, I just want to say... You were both so beautiful. I love your colors. You know, she was wearing like pink. I was wearing yellow. And she goes, you guys look so beautiful in your makeup. And we're like, oh, thanks. And then she, she you know, and then she sort of hovers around. And she walks off because we were standoffish. And the reason we were standoffish was because we, <laughs> we, and when she left, we like breathed this big sigh of relief because we thought she was going to come to tell us that we were making a noise. That's what we were expecting. We are expecting some sort of confrontation. We weren't expecting somebody to come to us and say, oh, you look nice. You know what I mean? Just even that, constantly being on, like in a defensive mode, bruh. I was so anxious. I was like, yo, am I about to fight with someone right now? But that's not even what it was. Thinking about the problem and its enormity is, is probably just overwhelming. But I think there are things we can do to move the narrative forward. 
because I think the the notion of inclusive travel, the notion of inclusive tourism, like the economic case for it, like I, I'm I'm sold. I'm sold on, you know, what it can do for communities, especially when it's done right, tastefully, and not in a condescending manner. And and that's hard work itself, and that's a whole conversation. But I'm I'm talking about us. You and I, we're in the media. We have platforms. We have influence. Counsel me in the context of my recent pretty heart-rending moment just last night where I was like, oh my word, I'm being treated a certain way. And then this morning, about to let off a Twitter storm, you know, a thread of tweets, and then holding back and going, I know everyone's watching my feed right now because I'm here and and there's so much to celebrate. Like, do I really want to dampen the mood by doing that? And so I chose rather to do the right thing, I think, which is to reach out to them first via email and, and, and hopefully, you know, one of the owners gets back to me and I don't know if it's going to change anything, but that's me trying to, to fix this problem. And perhaps, depending on their response, I might need to go public with something. Um, but I don't know. Like, how do we fix this in our world, given what we do and our influence? I don't know if, if we can fix it, but we certainly can keep trying. And I don't think there's a wrong way to do things. So I think even if you've chosen to unleash a Twitter storm and tag them, that's fine. If you've chosen to dampen the mood, your mood was dampened. And it comes back to, you know, how we try to, we can't register our own discomfort because we don't want to make other people uncomfortable. And you know what? I'm over that. I'm personally over that. Like as a woman, number one, that's something already I'm so conditioned to doing. And as a black woman, oh my God, it's like it's on another level, right? When adjusting for other people's comfort. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I think I'm all the way here for this name and shame. Hey guys, here's the latest racist video. You know what? I'm actually here for it. I'm here for like, hey guys, hey, let's all say we're going to boycott this restaurant. You know, let's write about, I am all the way here for it, but I'm also here for the different, I think it's, we need to take different approaches to it, not just one approach. There is no one right way to do it. And I'm also here for us telling our own stories. And one of the things that's important to me with what I do is to feature black people in the lifestyle space. Because when it's other parts of, of news, whether it's violence, poverty, corruption, theft, it's blacks. But then when you look at the lifestyle space, which is generally a very beautiful, pleasant space, because it's a space where you feature things that people are doing you know you can impact people's businesses positively or negatively right people's careers and it's i think generally speaking lifestyle is a very uplifting space um stylishly so of course you know but it's, it's uplifting and when you look at who generally is being empowered and uplifted in lifestyle spaces it's a lot of white faces whether it's like oh look at this white dude who makes furniture it's nice furniture by the way nobody's saying nobody shouldn't write about that guy you know or oh he's making masks or whatever the hell it is but then like the black representation is like so tiny you think that black people don't create great things you think that black people don't have web series you think that you know not just black people people of color right which is a very american term but you think we're kitchen not concept yeah yeah you know what i mean like <laughs> exactly but you'd, you'd think that we don't exist in those spaces and one of the things that's very important to me and i've been very explicit about it to the people that i work with and the people that i work for was that it's important to me that people like me also show up in the lifestyle space. I want us to be able to see ourselves. Representation is so important. And, you know, where it's, it, it is like my team's very aware of it sometimes where we'll commission photo, a photographer or we'll have illustrations and then it'll be like, yes, but, you know, we need a bit of color here or we need a variety of voices. I think about that a lot all of the time because it is important to actively push that space and I think it's it's not just about shaming racists but it's also about giving us the tools to showcase what we do helping us help each other 
and changing the perception of what black is. You know, like when people think corruption, I bet you 99.9% of the people in this country will think of a black person. But if you think design, it will not be a black person. Like the first person you think of will not be CGTT crook. <laughs> exactly. And it's I hope I got that acronym right. Some CGDT. designer. CGDT. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. Shame. Shout out to you guys. They're doing good work. Everyone's doing good work, yeah. by the way. We're not trying to be... Yeah, and that's the point. The point is... And this is, and this is another thing that I think my team misunderstood in the beginning. I was saying... So they used to think I meant, oh, no white people in lifestyle. That's not what I mean. I just mean more black people. Because there's room for us, guys. And we need to create that space. And if I don't do it... And it's an intentional thing, right? So talk to me about... Like- We're taking a quick break to thank the presenting sponsor for this series, Airbnb. Now, can you imagine a world without travel? We certainly can't. And that's why at African Tech Roundup, we reckon that the opportunity to travel and experience everything our world has to offer should be something everyone can enjoy. Airbnb happens to think so too. They also believe that Africa's travel and tourism industry can do a lot to sustainably empower and economically elevate underserved communities, which is why they hosted the first ever Africa Travel Summit in Cape Town's Gualanga Township in 2018, where this series was recorded. Airbnb can't wait to put you onto millions of unique homes, experiences, and places all over the world. Book now at airbnb.com. And now, back to the episode. Give me a sense of the economic argument, even in the context of like what you're trying to do. The Sunday Times of business, let's get this right, right? So in the context of what you do, like someone's listening to this episode in our series going, come on, guys, what's, what's the common rhetoric? You know, we're getting two PC and optics over substance and value. But this is as much an economic case as it is, you know, a, a values driven argument, right? I probably shouldn't even say it, but I'll say it. I think that's probably one of the things that for me is, where it's like, well, Paul, you're not very good at that, which is thinking about the economics of it. I think the values drive me more than anything else. It's it's why I do what I do, and it's super worthy. I get it, and it sounds really pretentious. But it is important that we are very like explicit about things like that, that you do push things like that. It's not like you are lying. You know what I mean? We're not saying, oh, those guys' designs are great when they suck. They are great. It's just... You know, giving people the platform to be seen and to help them grow their businesses. And I think the economic part helps the people that we feature. I mean, I remember once a few years ago, I wrote about a, a little story, 300 words in the main part of the paper about an art exhibition at a really small gallery in like a really small neighborhood in Joburg, right? And not market neighborhood, but a very small neighborhood. And so I'd gone to the opening of the show and then I wrote about it. And then a week later, I ran into a woman who worked at the gallery and she said, Pearl, 4,000 people have come to our gallery this week. That's never happened to us. We don't even get that many people in like a year. She's like, people were just flocking in because they'd read about it in the Sunday Times. And that's when I really became more aware of the kind of power that you can have with what you do. And it's, you know, it's like when people assume that if somebody black gets a position that it's, and if it's like a, a, an EE... Employment equity. Like if it's like an E, yeah, an E employee, then it, it means that the person isn't good at what they do. No, I can fill in the quota. Like I tick a quota. I'm black and I'm female. I tick two boxes, two quotas that help the company I work for. But also, guess what? I'm damn good at what I do. And it shouldn't be a thing where you're either one thing or you're the other way. You know, if you're black and female, then you're not, you're automatically not good. You know what I mean? So in terms of like when people say, oh, you're so PC, you're blah, blah, blah. You can be PC, but still good, you know? So it's fine to be PC. It doesn't water down what's happening. It doesn't water down people's abilities, people's talents, people's capabilities, etc. So 
you said the word pretentious. If anything, I think part of the deception is that, you know, you're pretentious if you feel that way. Like, like how important can, you know, projecting Africa in an incredible light, how important or economically impactful can projecting the most brilliant and best of what we are inherently artistically, creatively, commercially to ourselves. I think that is undersold, totally undersold. I, I don't think it's pre- pretentious at all. Okay. I stand corrected. Yeah, you got you to own that thing. And, and there was something really interesting that came out of your, your discussion around this point. Um, Larry, on stage, very passionate about this. Um, I've heard him you know, argue this before. He, he, one of his pet peeves is the fact that Africa seemed to need external validation, a safe vehicle for us to all agree that we dope. Yeah, I I agree with him 100,000%. And I don't even need to say what that vehicle is. People know, like, what am I talking about? Aren't you talking about Black Panther? Absolutely, though. I was as excited as everybody else about it. Don't get me wrong. But then when people started saying, yo, this is how we're rocking up to the premiere. This is what we're going to wear. And I was like, what? Why are y'all turning your own cultures into costumes? Like, for me, that is a problem. And I was like, look, I loved that they had, like, Basuta Blancas as shields. And, and, but I was like, then don't get mad when at Comic-Con some white dude is wearing that. Because they're actually not stealing your culture, babes. They're wearing what characters in a comic book based movie war I'm just they're rolling with Marvel that's what they're doing that's exactly so don't be mad when you see like Jacques Aparisiana Marino or whatever sorry it's gonna happen oh word yeah I hadn't thought of it quite like that but that's the thing so I feel like we've sort of sketched the extremes of of this in fact we haven't sketched anything we haven't gotten started right yeah, I don't think we've even spoken about any extremes, to be honest. We haven't, actually. We've just scratched, but I think it's a good place to start. I mean, there's no exhausting the complexity of humanity within the context of being African and what we're trying to achieve corporately as markets and all of those things. But I'm sitting here going, okay, define your tourist experience, your assertion of tourism as an individual, right? You're the head of lifestyle at arguably one of the most reputable newspapers in South Africa. You're young, black, 30, you're female, bright hair, cool glasses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, feminist, sorry. Oh, feminist, feminist, yeah. So feminist, you, you, you write well, you have these gifts, you have this privilege, you're a tourist. What, what does that look like? Usually it looks like work. So the truth is, you know, I didn't grow up at all black privileged and we didn't travel you know like as a kid so I only started to travel I only left the country for the first time six years ago to go to Mozambique I still remember uh, to the Bazaruto on a travel story and a lot of the time so I, I tend to be in little groups I don't get the chance to explore places on my own and so I think I've been very um, incubated I've been babysat I've been I've been lucky I haven't had, I think, authentic travel experiences, to be honest with you. I think I've had really nice, cushy ones. Wow. That is the truth. Like, I think about it. Um, like, when I have to go on holiday with my husband, it's always very funny to me and how spoilt I am. Because sometimes I'll just be like, wait, this is not five star, right? Because you get so used to that, um, where you're just like a spoiled, I'm like a spoiled journalist. And I'm not saying I'm an ungrateful person. I love traveling and I appreciate any any worthy trip that comes my way because also one of the problems with lifestyle journalism is how much of it is PR 
and how much of it is, is authentic. Because one of the things I think about a lot is the fact that, so when I do go on a travel story, I try to be honest because I, and we say at the end, you were a guest of whoever, but I didn't pay for it. But whoever's reading it and whoever might choose to go to a place is going to pay for it out of their own pocket. And you don't want to be playing with people's money ever. And so like one of my things as a tourist, I'm always thinking of my experiences as a journalist because they're so interconnected. It's about trying to keep things authentic for the reader because ultimately it's not about me. Even though my experience is great, it's not about me. So let's talk about the tools, the platforms, the technology that enables this experience of yours, that the one you've just described. Are you part of a travel club? Do you Airbnb everywhere? There's this new thing they're doing with experiences part of your game plan now because you want to experience things more authentically? Do you have like a flight platform that gets you cheaper flights? What's your hack for like getting cheap accommodation or, you know, affordable places? Do you only travel you know, off-peak, the intersectionality between sort of like the world of tech, everything that we're using, the tools, the platforms, our social media, and how it's kind of contributing to your tourism experience. To my personal tourism experience, um, it isn't really. And this is my first time using an Airbnb when I came to the Airbnb Africa Travel Summit. And part of the reason I'd never used Airbnb is not because I don't know about it. I obviously know about it. It's not because I don't know how to use it. I know how to use it. It's not because I don't have an account. I've had an account since it started here because I like things. I'm one of those people. It was because I was really nervous about being black, right? And like, whereas I feel like if it's a hotel and I'm booking online, they don't care. It's so easy. I just go, you know, that's me typing, right? And you put in like your credit card number and then booked Miss Boshamani welcome whereas like with something like Airbnb with like your face is there I was always worried that like I'll get rejected or I won't get places because I'm black Um, so this was actually my first time using it I've I've never done it I've been doing like traditional quote unquote tried and tested ways of travel Um, in terms of like flights and stuff I mean look one thing I like about tech is that I don't have to go into then to the mall, then sit with the travel agent. I don't like that. Nobody has time for that. I think for me, it's just made it slightly more convenient and easier. But I haven't been using, I haven't been maximizing it to get cheaper flights or any of that. I don't know those hacks. I'll have to ask you. No, happy to share offline. But I'm also curious about like when you land someplace, like what's your experience around maybe paying for stuff, deciding where to go or spend your money? Like what, what's, your, what's your thought process around that? My thought process is also um, I, I'm, a, I'm a planner. I'll tell you that. I'm a, I'm a really, really good planner. So I tend to travel with cash, which I know it's silly. but I, So you literally order Forex before you go to a country? Yes, I do. And then because also that's for me a way to control my own spending because you must also know yourself, guys. I know myself. I know once I start to swipe, I always wait until the very last day I'm in a country before I start swiping because once I start swiping, yo, andile. I Feels good. So easy. Yeah. And you know, also, a month later. You're- sure. You, you know, and you don't think about it. It's not like you get an SMS from Standard Bank saying, no, you're overseas. Standard Bank will see you and you come back. So you're busy here. Swipe, swipe, swipe. So I tend to just like get cash, avoid swiping. 
And, you know, one of the things I do try to do, though, is also you try to get, like, those, if, for instance, you're in Amsterdam or whatever, try to get those city cards where you can get into a museum for free and you can get, like, you can use a tram all day for free or things like that. I try to do things like that and I try not to, not, not to eat a lot. There's food at home, one of my friends said to me once. <laughs> There's no shame in that. My wife and I, actually, we, we roast our own muesli and we just, we never find good stuff that suits our taste. There's no shame in that, man. Like, carry your stuff over, man. Right, and take stuff from the hotel. Like in the morning, those breakfasts at the hotel. Oh, cheers. Kaftiniana, hit the streets. Um, but also, I just have to say, I feel so out of my depth because I feel like I'm not a well-traveled person. But in the reality of our country, I am. I know I've traveled more than a lot of my counterparts, like in my countrymen, rather. That's, more, that's it, right? But Your compatriots. There we go. I think I've traveled more. But a lot of the time, like when it comes to just having to talk about like travels and trips, I always feel like, yay. You don't know what you're talking about, Pearl. And then social media, though. Um, my wife has this new thing that we've started to apply where she doesn't want us to over-research where we're going. Oh, I love that. I love that. I don't know if I survived, though. I'm too much of a planner to like not over-research. Um, I think, I mean, okay, I guess I understand where it shouldn't be a strict itinerary where it's like, okay, at 9 a.m. we're leaving the hotel and we're going to walk to Dam Square and then we're going to... I don't think it should be like that, but I think it's nice to know at least what's around you. Um, but also, one of the things I look for when I'm traveling to a place, um, even if it's for work, I try to find black people who've been there. I always want black people's experiences about places. And I think that's why it's also important to diversify the kind of voices that you would have in a, in a newspaper. Because as a black person, if let's say I want to go to Morocco, right, and I have like seven people who, and they're all white and they're all like, oh, white men, or like it's amazing, it's great. I'm like, mm, okay. But I'm going to try to find, I'll find, let's say, Andile, right? Hey, how was Morocco? And you're like, yo, Morocco was dope. But I'm like, okay, cool. Okay, well, the black thing is not that much of an issue, but you're still a man. And then I'd need a woman, a woman's perspective as well. And I think I always try to ask people who look like me what their experience was like in certain countries or certain towns or certain cities. Also just so you can prepare yourself a, at least mentally. As a married dude, I am so humble to how different just another day of life for me is like a totally different experience and ordeal often for my wife. The privilege I enjoy as a male, never mind, you know. But of course, exactly. You know, I have like dream destinations I want to go to. And there's one particular which was in the top five and now it's not there anymore, where I asked around and a lot of like, okay, white men were like, it's great. Black men were like, it's great. Black women were like, a few black women I spoke to were like, oh, no, it was terrible. And then white women also said it's terrible. So I was like, okay, so then I guess the, the gender would be an issue in this particular country. So actually, I have no interest in going there. But that's it. If somebody said to me, Pearl, they like burn black women in Japan, I would still go because I want to go to Japan. That's nuts. <laughs> I know. I know. But, you know, there is... A- I get you. I, I totally get you. Like, it's your world, too. Yeah. There is a very different experience according to our skin color and according to our gender. That's why I always try to seek out people who look like me when I'm going to go somewhere. That's why when I do write a travel piece, I try to incorporate a little bit about what it's like to be black in a certain part of wherever. I went to Oman. It wasn't for long, for all, not long. The, the Middle Eastern country? Yes. Oh, my God. It's one of the best places I've been to. It's so beautiful. Muscat in Oman. Oh, my God. Amazing. And I wrote about how there were so many people with the same skin tone or darker than me who were there. And 
I didn't feel like I was being gawked at or looked at differently or treated differently. I felt comfortable. And I wrote about that. That was a little paragraph, not long, but it was important to put that in there just in case there's somebody also who looks like me who's thinking of going to Muscat in Oman. So they know, what, okay, maybe this is a slightly more safe space. But also at the same time, we can acknowledge that for me, I could have had a wonderful time in Muscat and then the next black person goes and they have a horrible time in Muscat. There's also that. I think a nice place to put this down might be to do this fun exercise where I get you to give me a sense of the thing that we as tourists to other places get wrong about over there as a construct and they as a construct get wrong about being tourists over here. Give me A and B. I will tell you that for A, I think we tend to... And it also comes back to A, and I hate this phrase, the media. But it does come back to us and how we like report on things because there's this idea that like, you know, everything works so seamlessly in other parts of the world. You guys on the other hand, you know, nothing's late. A train is never late, not a minute. You know, and sorry, we buy into that whole narrative that yay, we are so behind and, and, and but you know what? Like there's some places, yes, where it's amazing and there's ease of travel and things are cheap, but there are some places where it's not. And we, we tend to think that things are just better that side. Food might be better. When I say that side I mean like over season that food is better or the people are better looking or whatever and you know what actually not always um, and I think that's also part of the misconception that a lot of people maybe think when they're traveling to South Africa and to Africa traveling down as in like you know it's the experience won't be as amazing it won't be as good the food won't be as good we're not as sophisticated quote unquote but that's inaccurate I think it's like every place there was a woman who was saying um, a journalist from Botswana who was saying when we were in our panel her comment was you know if you go to like New York when you land from JFK and you're driving to like Brooklyn through Brooklyn or whatever it could look like downtown Johannesburg and there is that like where you go to a place and you're like hey well this could be Hillbrow, guys, but because it's in Europe, it's sold so differently, and we think that Europe is all shiny and clean and amazing, but it isn't. Like taking the talus from, say, Belgium into Paris, and you realize, oh my word, this is a pretty uh, <laughs> sticky place. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, this idea that it's like the sound of music, that Europe is like the sound of music. Like, oh, you know, open fields, and you're just going to be happy, and you're going to be safe, and not really. You can get, you can get robbed there too, just saying. Um, really, I want to thank you for being on the African Tech Roundup. Hopefully not for the last time, Pearl. Um, shout out to you and the work you're doing, heading up Lifestyle at the Sunday Times. Still, it's definitely worth a read all these years later. I don't always agree with everything in those pages, but I think that's the whole point of the editorial. I think when it's done well, I think it should be a springboard for further conversations, which is what I hope and what we intend for these podcasts to be. And you have done your thing with us today, and we're really grateful. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me.